This episode of the Productivityist Podcast is brought to you by Gusto. Now, what is Gusto? Well, it rhymes with musto or rusto, as in let's do it once more with Gusto. And Gusto is easy online payroll benefits and HR built for modern small businesses. You get three months for free when you run your first payroll. I'll talk more about the features of Gusto during this episode. But for now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show, I am holding a book that I have been poring over numerous times. There's lots of great value in this book, and there's lots of great value in this discussion today that I have with James Clear, the author of this book, Atomic Habits, An Easy and Proven Way to Build Good Habits and Break Bad Ones. I've known James for a number of years. This is the first time I've had the chance to chat with him on one of the podcasts that I've hosted And this one is the one we get them on, which is great. You're going to learn about why the term atomic habits came to be, what it takes to build atomic habits, maybe when you need to build atomic habits, and so much more. Let's just get into this conversation because this is a good one. Sit back, relax, grab a good cup of coffee or tea because you're going to need it. There's going to be lots of notes to take in here, valuable insights to be shared by my guest, James Clear, here on the Productivityist Podcast. I'd like to welcome James Clear to the Productivityist Podcast. Thanks for joining me, James. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. So you are the author of Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. And uh, this book, like we were just talking about before we started, is it's a... It, it is a deep read and, and for me, like I'm going through, it's not something that you can sit and read in one fell swoop. It's almost like you have to read a, read it at an atomic pace to a certain extent. <laughs> um, this has been the, the uh, kind of a, a long journey for you to get to this book. Um, and, and can you kind of touch on why, because uh, there are other habit books out there. I mean, Charles Duhigg's got the power of habit. I mean, habits are, are they're, they're kind of like the, the, uh, they're trendy right now, you know, habits, rituals, all that stuff, especially when you're talking about things like living with intention. What was the impetus behind you saying, you know, I've got all this work online. I'm going to, I want to write a book about it. I want to, I want to dig deep into it. Like what was the, what was the, the the cause and, and, and what was the journey like for you as you put this thing together? Well, the journey involved a lot of suffering. We can get to that, uh, later, but, um, I, uh, I think there are two, main lenses to look at this book through. So the first is anytime you sit down to write a book, like for me, I spent three years writing about habits. Then I signed the book deal. Then I spent three years researching and writing the book itself. So it was a big commitment. And so if I'm going to spend that much time on something, if I'm going to be spending my career, my life on something, I want the topic to be important enough that it feels like it's worth the effort. And there are not many topics in life that I feel like pass that threshold, but habits are one of them. And partially that's because we all have habits. We're all building them anyway. Um, And so the question is like, well, if you're going to be doing this every day, is there a way to design it in your favor rather than to just kind of have them happen to you? And the more that I studied them and thought about them and started experimenting with things on my own site and uh, writing and in my own life, the more I felt like, yeah, it is possible to design these with a little bit more intention and clarity. And then the second thing is, you're right, there are a lot of habit books that have been written uh, and quite a few good ones that are out there. But if you look at a lot of the three-star reviews for those books or um, some of the common critiques for them, 
they'll say things like, you know, really well written, great storytelling or um, very interesting science. But I'm still left wondering, how do I apply this? Or, you know, like I wish there were better action steps or something like that. And so I wrote Atomic Habits to be the definitive book on how to build a good habit and break a bad one. What do you it covers a lot of science. It talks about how they work and, um, you know, how habits are formed in the brain and why they're important. But the biggest thing that it is meant to be is a practical manual for applying that in your actual life and for making changes actually happen. So my hope is that if you want to understand what a habit is and how it works, the book will give you that backbone. But really, it's written for people who um, are ready to build a good habit or break a bad one. If you want to make a change, I feel like this is the actionable guide for doing that. I was going to say there's a lot of it, this is very actionable because there's a lot of theory and, and uh you know, but not a lot of, Hey, here's what you do. One of the things that, that I've found with habits is that people tend to take on uh, too many of them at once, especially if you're talking about like when they start the new year or whatever, they, 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 first off, they don't break it down into the atomic level. And I want to talk about the term atomic, uh, you know, in a little bit here, but why, why do you think people, when they are looking to take on habits, they, they tend to look at them from a, they sit down when they take the time to sit down and go, okay, what are some habits that I want to adopt? They try to do too much all at once. And how can you help people break that pattern? How does this book help people break that pattern? Cause that's something I see a lot. Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's probably some kind of natural momentum when you're brainstorming like that, you know, you like get one thing down, you're like, Oh yeah, that'd be great. And then you start, you know, just like bleeds into the next thing. And there's, um, this is something that's true for, um, habits and behaviors in general, which is, when you think about the outcomes you want in life or when you think about the habits you want to build, you're actually you're not really envisioning those for your current self. You're envisioning them for your future self. And we all want better lives for our future selves. We all want to worry less about money and to be in better shape and to have better relationships and uh, to be happy. When you think about your future self, it's very easy to get that generated. And so I think it's um, it because any goal setting exercise naturally tends to spiral into five or 10 or 15 things that you want to change and not just one simple thing. Um, and I think the antidote to that, uh, you know, atomic habits covers many things related to this and like how to break things down. But I think if I was going to recommend one place to start, I really like what I call the two minute rule. And the basic idea is you take whatever habit you're trying to build and you scale it down until it takes two minutes or less to do. So, you know, whatever your ambitious plan is, maybe it's like read 30 books a year and that becomes read one page, or maybe it's do yoga four days a week and that becomes take out my yoga mat. And the core idea is that you're just trying to scale it down so that it's something that's so simple to do that it's not intimidating and so quick and easy to do that you could actually automate it. Because there is a little bit of a distinction here between what I guess we could call like a habit and a routine, right? Like a lot of the time we use the phrase habit to mean something else. Like the technical definition of a habit is a behavior that is repeated enough times to be more or less automatic. But you might say something like, I want to get in the habit of, uh, you know, writing every day, or I want to get in the habit of going to the gym. And I know what you mean when you say that, but like, you're never going to go unconscious and just be on autopilot when you're writing for an hour, right? Like writing is a very effortful thing, or you're not going to just go to the gym for 45 minutes and totally forget what you're doing. Um, it's not like you can do it mindlessly and automatically, like brushing your teeth or tying your shoes. So the key insight here is you can make the first two minutes automatic, you know, like you might have to put effort in during the workout, but you can build a habit of changing into your workout clothes as soon as you get home from work or, 
you might have to put effort into writing for an hour each day, but you can make it automatic to wake up, grab a glass of water and open up Evernote and start writing the next article. So um, the two minute rule kind of helps you scale it down and make it easier to get started. How important is it to be to slow down when it, when, when you're trying to develop a habit. So uh, let me give you an example. You talked about workout clothes and I've been reading a lot of articles about, especially, you know, as you get closer to the end of the year and people talking about how to be more productive, fast company brings out their annual list of the most productive people and their, their thoughts. One thing that came up was this idea that you talk about uh, getting your workout clothes out. Some people sleep in their workout clothes because it's (laughs) one step removed uh, that that they one little bit of friction that 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 they can remove to get them that much closer to working out. Um, wh- how important is is slowing down to really get these things down to their their smallest or atomic level so that it it does make adoption of the habit easier? And then, uh, secondly, how do you recommend people get to that level of of slowness or deliberate uh, deliberation so that they can really be sensible about it as opposed to just saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go do yoga. Sure. I'll put my mat out. And then that doesn't necessarily work because it wasn't necessarily the right trigger or the right activity for them to that, that two minute activity that you're talking about. Yeah. Um, so the process of behavior change almost always starts with awareness. Now your behavior can change without you being aware of it. Like somebody might, there are a bunch of studies that have done this. They change something in the environment and you act differently, even though you don't realize it. But if you want to design your habits, if you want to be in control and not have your behavior happen to you, then you almost always need to start with some level of awareness. So you slowing down is a way to notice what you're doing. And this is why one of the methods I mentioned in the book is what I call the habit scorecard. And basic idea is you just start at the beginning of your day and you list out all the behaviors that you're going to perform. So, you know, and I wake up, I turn off my alarm on my phone, I check Instagram, I get out of bed, I make my bed, I take a shower, I get dressed. Like you just go through your day in granular detail. And then after you have that list, you can assign a positive sign to it. If you a plus sign, if it's positive, a negative, a minus sign, if it's a negative habit or just an equal sign, if it's fairly neutral. And the point of that is not to like feel guilty or to judge your behavior. It's to um, become aware and slow down and see what's actually going on. And once you slow down and like see the links in the chain, you see the, the, the different behaviors you're performing each day. That clarifies a little bit where to insert a new habit or where to step in to change that routine. And, um, you know, like you might notice that the bad habit that I have is I'm like checking Instagram too often. And then you, once you have that list, you see, oh, well, I one of the things I do is I wake up and I turn my alarm off and then I start scrolling on Instagram before I've even got out of bed in the morning. And once you realize that, once you're aware of it, once you've slowed down enough to see it, then you could take your phone and say, all right, I'm going to buy an, an actual alarm clock on Amazon for 10 bucks and I'm going to put my phone and charge it in another room each day. And so that um, changes it. Or maybe you just maybe you have like a bathroom attached to your to your bedroom and you just charge your phone in the bathroom on the counter rather than next to the bed. And so when the alarm goes off, you got to get out of bed, go turn it off. And then by the time you're in the bathroom anyway, you're like, I'll just get in the shower. Um, And maybe that's enough to change your Instagram habit. But the point is that you only start to see those different um, levers, those different uh, change points when you've slowed down enough to pay attention to what you're actually doing. 
One of the things that you talk about the alarm, I'm notoriously bad at waking up in the morning. I'm a night owl uh, and, and I'm totally fine with that. But one of the things we actually got an alarm clock a few years ago, is the one that drove off your table and you actually had to chase it <laughs> to turn it on. <laughs> it's, I think it's called clocky, if I remember correctly. I think you can still buy it. Um, but what, what what eventually happened was, is eventually I just ignored it. Like, my, my you know, it was like it, 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 had be, it had no longer worked. What do you do when these kind of triggers or these, even these habits, once they become so automatic or, or, or even a routine, I know you touch on this in the book too, but they, they either, uh, the, they don't activate you in the same way. Uh, how do you recommend that people kind of reconcile that so that they don't lose momentum or that they don't fall back into kind of that, that old, you know, that old habit that they were trying to get rid of, or they adopt a brand new bad habit that is definitely not going to get them to where they want to go. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. So I think that this is why, and I, I mentioned this in the book. So, you know, I talk about an atomic habit, a small change, a little 1% improvement. And then I say in the conclusion of the book, the Holy grail of habit change is not a single 1% improvement. It's like a thousand of them mm -hmm. all layered kind of on top of each other and working toward the same goal. And I think that what you're referencing here is a good example of why it's important to have multiple things working for you. So let's take a, let's take like a real world um, scenario. So let's say that you're trying to build the habit of like a good power down routine and getting in bed at, you know, say 10 PM each night so you can wake up early. And, um, you might do something like set an alarm on your phone at 10 PM each night. And the, when the alarm goes off, it has a little message that says like, you know, time to go to bed, like brush your teeth, get ready, that type of thing. And maybe the first few nights it actually works and it gets you to, to do it. But then at some point, maybe you're like watching a Netflix show or browsing YouTube or whatever, and your alarm goes off and you just see it and you just like turn it off and kill the alarm. And then, you know, like you keep on watching and then you're up to like midnight that night. And so it starts to lose its efficiency and effectiveness. And I think uh, something that you could do in this case, and this is an example of what I'm mentioning, this idea of many small things organized toward the same goal is rather than only having the alarm and trusting that cue to like spark the habit, you make a variety of 1% changes all organized toward the goal of getting better sleep or getting in bed each night. So this could be things like you can test different types of mattresses and figure out the one that leads to the best night's sleep for you. You can buy blackout curtains so that your room is dark and you tend to sleep well at night. Uh, if you're in a noisy environment, you can get earplugs or earmuffs or something like that so that uh, it can be quiet. You can buy, uh, there's a device called the Chili Pad that you can put on your um, mattress that uh, basically keeps your bed at the ideal temperature to sleep so you don't get too hot or too cold while you're in bed. Um, and then you can have your little alarm on your phone to remind you, hey, it's 10 p.m., time to go to sleep. But you can also do some other stuff. Like um, one of my favorites is you can buy an outlet timer, which is it's a little device. It's kind of like an adapter or a surge protector. And you plug it into the, the outlet and then you plug your electronics into that um, that outlet timer. And you can set the timer to kill the power from that outlet at a particular time. So one of my friends, he um, he bought one and he plugged his Internet router into it and then set it to kill the <laughs> power at 10 p.m. each night. So it gets to 10 can't watch Netflix, can't browse the web, it's time to go to bed. And um, things like that, I, I love little solutions like that where it's, you know, I just named five or six things, but imagine you have all five of those working for you. Suddenly the habit of getting in bed at 10 and getting a good night's sleep becomes easier because you're not relying on one thing, you have a variety of them.
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've put this in place to make sure because as a night owl, I will stay up past one thirty if I if I'm in a in a modality that. But I've got screen time set up on my iPad, so at one day I get a warning. I'm like, okay, but then so then part of my brain goes, well, yeah, but I still want to do this. So how do I find another way? And there's over time, I've had to set up about four or five different mm-hmm. blockades. It's kind of like the the rat in a, in a maze thing, right? Well, I'm going to go this way. Oh no, I can't go this way. Oh, I can't go. And then eventually, like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go to the place that I I the wise Mike who set it up, you know, three, right. four, eight months ago said, no, no, you need this is we set one thirty as your bedtime because. Right. You need to get up at 830 because your kids have to go off to school and, you know, your wife needs you to do that. So I, I think that's a really good point is is multiple triggers, multiple avenues because that are that are that just provide, I guess, enough friction. Right. Like just enough to make it either terribly inconvenient or just an aggravant to, to, to or to aggravate you enough to go, OK, you know what? That's right. I, I should right. go to bed now. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I want to talk about timing and, and this idea that, cause not all ha- bad habits are necessarily bad habits. I would, I would say they just aren't necessarily accomplished at the right time or either when you're at your best or based on your schedule or whatever that that's been, you know, that's either dictated to you or that you, you know, you've put in place, um, checking email, Instagram would be a good example of that. How do you determine, um, how do you, how do you set that up so that you know the the bad habit that is done that isn't a bad habit on its face but is placed in a poor time? How do you kind of reconcile that? Because I think that's an issue that a lot of people come across because they can't they have to check email they have to do this but they're not placing it at the best or more optimal uh, time of day or, or or day of week or whatever to work on it. Oh man, yeah. Questions like like this is a good question because it's a really hard situation when you have what I guess you would call you're not looking to eliminate a behavior, you're looking to curtail it or right. like keep it in its place. And um doing something a lot is hard, but you could like organize your day around it and you can get that done. Doing something not at all is sometimes challenging, but it's easier. I, both of those I think are easier than doing something just the right amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um and, uh, so there are some solutions. Um, so sometimes it's software related, like you could use a tool like freedom or something like that, which I'm sure you're familiar with, yep. um, you know, to like create a time block. And so basically like here's here, I'll give you some personal examples for me. So one example is, um, there's a moment each morning that kind of determines how the rest of my morning is going to go where I sit down at my desk and either I open up Evernote and I start working on the next article or I go to ESPN and I check the latest sports news and what happens in the next hour is really determined by what happens in like the first 45 seconds that I sit down at the screen. You know, like if I can manage to curtail that, uh, it's not that checking ESPN is totally bad. I like, I like falling sports, but it's just not the right time for it. And so having something like freedom to block ESPN from say like nine to five, um, and then let me browse it in the evening when it is the right time that's way more helpful for me than like just trying to rely on myself to like, Oh, just don't check it now. Um, which is challenging. And then you've got other, you know, um, software solutions like Facebook newsfeed eradicator, which allows you to log in and use Facebook, but it blocks the entire newsfeed. So you don't see all these articles that you'll click on and, um, lose 20 minutes at a time or something like that or distraction free YouTube, which is a Chrome extension you can install that, um, allows you to watch a YouTube video but blocks all of the recommended videos in the sidebar um, so that you are less likely to fall into this YouTube spiral and so on. 
And then occasionally it requires even more than that. So like, uh, I realized as I was working on atomic habits, I got about a year in and I was like, okay, I'm going to need more time here. Like something's going to have to change if I'm going to get this thing done. And, uh, so I realized I was spending too much time on social media and I had my assistant every Monday, she would log me out of Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter and reset all the passwords. And then I would work all week. And then on Friday, she would give me the passwords and I could log in and check it over the weekend. And then on Monday we would do it all over again. And, um, that's like a very, uh, forced way of like keeping yourself in this middle ground where you get it only some of the time, but not all the time. But that was what I needed to do for that particular season to get through that. And, um, so solutions like that can help, but that idea of like, okay, I want to do something, but just not that much. Um, it can be challenging. Another one is, uh, alcohol consumption. So I found that if I have beer in the fridge, especially if it's in like the door or the front of the like fridge where I can see it as soon as I open it up, I'll grab one every night just because it's there. But if I tuck it all the way in the back underneath the shelf so I can't see it when I open the door, sometimes it'll sit there for weeks without me even realizing it. And so environment design can help a little bit for some of those things. It's not it's not going to like curb a true addiction. But if you can make your bad habits less visible, then often you will only do them when you actually consciously think of them and not do them just because it's visible and you can see it and it's just a response to the environment. Right, right. You talked about seasonal. You talked about seasons there. And I think that's an interesting thing to, to wander down for a little bit is that not all habits or activities are consistently done year round, right? So... Um, you know, this idea of seasonal um, work and seasonal uh, habits. Is that something that you you dive into at all in the book? I mean, I want to make sure that people who are listening, go, yeah, you know, I, I, I need to do this, but not not every every day. It needs to be something that I check sporadically every once in a while, like per season or better still, certain things change with the seasons. For example, where I live right now, um, and this is this is a deterrent for me for sure. Um, you know, I'd love to go out and do some running. Um, but it, you know, in the Pacific Northwest from November until May, uh, if you get a, if you don't get uh, hit by rain, then it's a, it's an anomaly because it's raining <laughs> literally, you know, basically you're taking vitamin D from November 1st until the end of April because the sun mm. doesn't come out in the cloud. I mean, I'm looking outside right now and it's, it's raining and, and it, it's one of the last things you want to do. So uh, can you, can you touch on a little bit about, you know, the, the need to either alter things during different seasons or different periods of time, like you just talked about? Yeah. So I first started thinking about this with respect to larger seasons in like life. Mm. And I think this is a really, I, I asked myself this question a lot recently. I, it's feeling, it feels like an important question to me, which is what season am I in right now? Right. So for example, um, you know, like I'm, I'm young, I, uh, I don't have kids yet. And so the season that I'm in is very career focused and very focused on like personal health. And so there are some things like the amount of work that I put into the book, for example, that makes sense during the season. But when I have kids like that, that's going to signal a different season. And so my habits are going to have to change, you know, like there'll be more family related habits and less career related ones, for example. Um, now it is also true that you, you do still need to make choices. Like for example, I would love to learn to play a musical instrument. But it's not the right season for that right now. You know, like, yeah, I don't have kids. I have time to do it. But every hour that I would put into uh, learning the guitar or something, 
uh, is an hour that I don't get to put into writing or building the, you know, finishing the book or building my business and so on. And so it just isn't the right season for that. So habits change with seasons and that's fine. I think a lot of the time, especially I was just, I just spoke at an event last week and a young mother uh, came up to me afterward and was all worried about the fact that, you know, like she isn't able to do some of these things that she was able to do two years ago before she had her little toddler. And it's like, you know, I hear you, I'm ambitious too. And like, I, there are a lot of things I wish I had time to do right now that I don't, but, um, you're in a different season and that's fine. You don't need to feel guilty about that. So I think generally that's definitely true that habits change with seasons. And then more specifically to your question was like, well, what about the actual seasons? What about like during a year? You know, like there are some Mm -hmm. things that you don't have to do all the time or don't feel attractive all the time. You mentioned running outside in the rain in the Pacific Northwest. I've had other readers tell me, um, try working out in a gym in Austin, Texas in July. It's like, (laughs) no thanks. You know, like I, there are a lot of people who are like, I like lifting weights, but not that much, you know? Um, and, uh, so you are contingent on your environment a little bit there. And, um, in that case, I think it can be two strategies can be helpful. So the first strategy is if it's something that is done infrequently enough to actually be a habit, then it makes sense to automate it or schedule it whenever possible. So like, um, rebalancing your investment portfolio, that's something that most people are, if they bother with it at all, are only going to do like once a year, that's never enough to be habitual. So either use a robo advisor or some kind of software to automate it or schedule a meeting with your financial planner, you know, some standing meeting every January or something where you review your portfolio and then you rebalance then. So basically put you, let the calendar or the software do the remembering for you because the habit's not going to, it's not going to stick because it's just not repeated enough. The second strategy though, is that even if the environment is not primed for the behavior you want to build, you'll still stick to it if there's a strong social reason. So many of our behaviors are socially reinforced. And I've seen this in my own life with this CrossFit gym that I work out at. Mm-hmm. Um, CrossFitters are crazy. They're like obsessed with working out. And one of the things that gets it to stick is the community. They go to dinner together. They like have parties together. It, imagine people doing that at like a Gold's Gym or an Equinox or something like it would be so weird. Um, everybody just goes in there and does their workout for like 30 minutes. But because the community is so strong, people drive. There was a, a couple of years ago, there was like a bad snowstorm. Someone got on a wreck on the highway, like going to trying to go to the gym. You know, like a lot of people are like, it's raining outside. I'm not going to go to the gym. Um, but because the social reinforcement is so strong they'll still uh, overcome the obstacles in their environment. And so the key insight there is you want to join a tribe, join a group where the nor- your desired behavior, whether that's working out or writing or whatever, is the normal behavior. Because if it's normal in that group, then it's going to seem attractive to you to do it, even if it's not convenient. You know, like if you hang out with a bunch of jazz musicians who play music five nights a week, well, there are going to be some nights where you don't feel like playing music, but it's like, well, all my friends are doing it too. So I'll show up and go to practice. Um, and so social reinforcement can be a big factor as well. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. 
Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. We're going to take a break from the podcast to talk about our sponsor, Gusto. Now, everyone loves payday, but loving a payroll provider, well, that's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and HR support to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, you might fall in love yourself. Uh, there's lots of other great things that, that Gusto offers, such as automatically filing and paying all state, local, and federal payroll taxes. You can sign, store, and organize employee documents all online. Uh, it, it was named by PC Magazine the best online payroll of 2018, the best HR software of 2018, and the best benefits administration software of 2018. Four out of five customers reduce payroll errors after switching to Gusto, and 62% of customers find Gusto's customer service is better at resolving issues than their previous payroll providers. Gusto works with you. Unlimited payrolls, off-cycle payrolls, multiple states, multiple schedules and pay rates, direct deposits, checks you can print yourself, employees and contractors, everything that you could absolutely need. So here's the deal. Listeners of this podcast, that's you, get three months for free when you run your first payroll. So try a demo and see for yourself. Just go to gusto.com slash timecrafting. That's gusto.com slash timecrafting. I'd like to thank Gusto for sponsoring this episode of the Productivities Podcast. Now, let's get back to the show. We've been talking about apps and different tools that you can use, and I want to touch on this idea because I've, I've, I've used this as well is, uh, you know, the idea of if I want to make something stick or I want to make something consistent and I don't want to have to think about it. Yeah, apps make sense, whether it's a do list app or there's plenty of gosh, you've probably seen more habit tracking apps than I have. You're probably <laughs> one of the few people that have. Um, but I want to talk about like where people what I come across with people is they'll be hesitant or they'll have this bias in place We're like, no, I'll remember it or I'll no, I don't need to write that down. I, I've got it. And, you know, the old adage, you know, I think Field Notes quotes is I'm not writing it down to remember it now. Later, I'm writing it down to remember it now. This idea of getting it out of your head and putting it in some place that you can trust, because let's face it, you can't you're, you can't trust your brain. How we'll talk about a tool and specifically that you and, and the folks at Baron Fig have developed. But how do you get people past that barrier? Number one, actually, do you do you encourage that kind of capture? And number two, if you do, how do you kind of encourage people to break through that bias of no, no, I got this. Don't worry, I, I'll I'll remember it. You know, despite how fast life is, I've got this. Well, uh, so I do encourage that. Uh, I guess, and in, in the sense, especially that I do that myself. So mm -hmm. I feel like that's probably the best testament to it. Um, one caveat is I think it's really important to have one central holding ground for stuff. So mm -hmm. like whenever I have an idea, everything goes into the same column in Trello. So like that's the, it doesn't matter what it's related to. Maybe it's a to-do task. Maybe it's an idea for an article. Maybe it's an email I need to follow up on. Maybe it's just a note to myself. 
um, but it all goes into the same column and then it gets sorted. And so I think that's important in the moment because um, I don't want to have to be thinking about where do I file this. I just want to be able to catalog the idea. Yeah, it's not about it's not about sorting and organizing. It's just about getting it out of there. Yes, it's just about getting it out of my head and getting it down. Yeah. So I think that 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 has helped me a lot having one place to to put stuff um, and then I can sort afterward. Um, So that's the first piece Uh, for people who resist that. I mean, I guess you could just ask yourself the question, like, how well is that working? Um, Because if it's working well and you're happy with the results, then I guess there's no reason to change. Um, But if the story of telling yourself, I just need to try harder, I'll remember it this time, this time it's different. Um, If that's not working, then clearly you need to change something in your system. And I think that if you look particularly at habits, for whatever reason, the standard narrative is, oh, if I just had more willpower, I'd be able to do that. (laughs) Or if I just tried harder, maybe if I really wanted it, then I would stick with it. Um, And we act like we act like it's a an effort issue and not a design issue. And I think it's often a design issue, um, whether that's the design of the environment, the uh, structure of the social norms and the group of people that you're around, the design of the habit itself, like when you're what you're asking yourself to do and when you're asking yourself to do it. And all of those are like very different decisions than you just need to try harder or you need to have more willpower and motivation. And so um, I think that if this time it's different or this time I'll remember isn't working out, then it's time to start looking at some of those other strategies. Well, and I think the other thing that you mentioned earlier, it's right in the title of the book, Atomic, like people are writing down like work on book, right? So the effort shows up because like, well, that's going to take too long or that's too big. Um, what does... When And I remember actually having a conversation with people when the book was coming out and we're like atomic habits. It's it, for me, it was, it was interesting because I, it, I didn't think of, I didn't think of, uh, of habits at that kind of with that, with that kind of connotation attached to it. I, I definitely, and I've written about this. I actually, uh, 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 there's a medium article, I'll link to it. I actually, uh, quote you from an article. I think that you wrote for, uh, for Susan Cain for her quiet revolution. I think that you were, yeah. I, I said, this is what it broke down to. So you can read that if you don't want to hear James talk about the three reasons why it's, what atomic means. But for me, it was like, for me, I wrote it because I talk about a project has particles. So I kind of like said, Hey, let's riff on this a mm-hmm. little bit, because I think, I think most people will write down a project. Well, they'll write down a task. It'll be like work on book. I'm like, that's not a, that's not a task. That's a project. Like a book is a project. So you need to break it down to as small of components as you possibly can. Can you talk about that term atomic and how, First off, how you kind of said this is the right word that to describe it, and secondly, what that word kind of means and the 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 kind of prongs that that word means when you attach it to habits. So I like the title of the book now, but I actually was unsure about it early on. And what's funny is that if I think back to my initial reaction of uh, what are some very popular titles now, often I actually have a like fairly negative reaction early on. Mm. Like I remember the first time I heard four hour work week. I like did not like the title at all. Right. Um, or, uh, even like, uh, my good friend, uh, who's passed away now, Scott Dinsmore. First time I heard live your legend was the name of his site. I was like, "Ah, it just didn't land with me. Right. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but it's funny that like those titles and many others that didn't quite sound right at first, I think there's something to, if a title catches, like sometimes if it doesn't sound right, it's, it's, Sometimes it's bad, 
but sometimes it's a signal that it stands out, you know, like it sounds, it's not normal. It's not easy to brush away. It's not like, Oh yeah, that sounds like a standard title. Um, and that's important because it needs to be memorable. It needs to have like some, even if people have like a negative reaction to it, you don't want it to be too negative, but you do want your habit, your title to invoke emotion. You know, you want people to feel something or to think something to at least like have a reaction to it because that means they're going to remember it. If it's so bland that it does, it's not memorable, then that's, that's, I think even worse. Um, so anyway, I was a little unsure of it at first, but, uh, I ended up settling on it and, and really like it now. And I chose the phrase atomic habits for three reasons. So the first meaning of the word atomic is what you would expect, like tiny or small, like an atom. And that's a key piece of my philosophy, like habits should be small and easy to do. The second meaning and the one that's often overlooked is the an atom or atomic also means the fundamental unit in a larger system. So like atoms built into molecules, molecules built into compounds and so on. Kind of like how you said, you know, like what are the particles of your project? You know, like tasks built into projects. Right. Um, and I think we could say that habits are kind of like the atoms of our lives in a way. You know, they're like these little routines, these tiny behaviors that you do. And when you layer them all together, you end up with the system of your daily routine. And then the third meaning uh, of atomic is the source of immense energy or power, you know, like atomic bomb, that kind of thing. And I think that if you combine all three meanings, then you understand the narrative arc of the book. And this is why I ultimately settled on the title is because if you make changes that are small and easy to do and you layer them on top of each other like units in a larger system, then you can end up with some really remarkable or powerful results in the long run. Well, and I think the other thing you mentioned, Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week, on its face, it's like, you mean I only have to work four hours a week? And really, it means, no, it only feels like you're working four hours a week. That's really kind mm. of the crux of it, right? Um, so I think that I wanted to bring that to the attention of people because the term atomic, it's it's one of those things where it's like, I think people, like you said, at their face, are going to go, oh, like tiny, like, you know, the building blocks. But, uh, you know, the more, and again, going through the book, what I loved is there's the actionable component to it, which is so critical because, like you said, there's lots of theory, there's lots of science around the Q, you know, Q routine reward, all that stuff. But like, okay, how? And you, um, we talked about apps and I use apps as well, but I'm also a bit of a paper junkie. And anyone who's followed my work for a while knows that I'm a huge fan of Baron Fig stuff. Uh, you know, I've, I, 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 my wife is like, you cannot buy any more pens. You cannot <laughs> like, what are you doing? You don't need seven Squire pens. I'm like, yeah, but this one's orange. Um, so you and you and the folks at Baron Fig have put together a product that kind of, you know, it, it, it you talked about like the, the, the power of a system and stuff like this. So can you touch on it a bit? Cause I know, I know I've talked to Joey about it as well. Who's the, you know, the founder and CEO, but I want to talk a bit about, about, what brought you to the table with this? And, and when you, when you were kind of putting this thing together, was there, was there hesitation? Because I know that, that it's very, like you it's very personal and very subjective. And all of a sudden you're putting this framework in place that, that might, that might almost feel um, too rigid and maybe not fluid enough for people to kind of work with. So let's, can we touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So I, as you mentioned earlier, I have seen many, many habit apps. I get pitched them all the time and ask for my thoughts on them and so on. So I've seen a lot of digital solutions. Um, I've also seen quite a few manual solutions, whether they're productivity journals or daily journals or gratitude journal, like things like that, whatever it is related to building some kind of habit. Um, I've seen a lot of those. 
And my typical complaint with any of these systems is that they are too rigid and fixed. Um, if you want to do, if, if you take like most of the journals that are out there, they don't look like a notebook. They look like a template. Um, you know, like you're being handed a sheet that says like, fill out, these are going to be your top three things for the day. And then, and these are the five things you're grateful for. And these are the, like, um, you know, whatever the different things that you have to, um, your most important task or, uh, the date goes in up in this top mm -hmm. right corner or whatever. And if you want to do anything outside of that template, that piece of paper becomes useless because that's what it, it's like literally printed. It's not, it's not a notebook where you can write. So, uh, Baron fig, I think produces the highest quality, uh, notebooks that you can find. Um, they're certainly one of the premier manufacturers of, uh, notebooks and accessories, pens and so on. So I thought they were great to partner with, uh, quality is really important to me. And then secondly, from the very beginning, I wanted to solve that problem of how do we create a notebook or a journal that makes it easier to build habits is actually useful in daily life but is not so fixed that you can only do it the way that, you know, we're saying to do it. And so what we settled on is the vast majority of the journal. Uh, so we, it's called the habit journal. It's called the clear habit journal. Um, and, uh, the vast majority of it, like 180 pages or so is what we call a split grid, but it's basically a dot grid. Um, and then it has a few custom markings on it that make it easier to divide the page into halves or thirds. So if you're into bullet journaling or making some of those kind of layouts, it'll be like super simple for you to use. You don't have to count dots or anything. Um, and there are, um, so anyway, the majority of it is you can use it the same way that you would use any dot grid notebook. Um, and then at the very beginning and the very end, there are two sections that are particularly useful. There is a section at the beginning called one line per day that makes it as easy as possible for you to build a daily journaling habit. And basically there are 31 lines on each page and you can create a prompt for yourself. Like the one that I've been using is what happened today. And so each day I just write down where I am and uh, one sentence about what I did. And so suddenly I'm looking back on it now. It's the first time that I've actually stuck to a journaling habit each day. I think a lot of people don't journal because they think it needs to be, you know, like a page or paragraphs mm -hmm. or something like that. And they do it for a week and then it starts to feel like a hassle. And so the idea, similar to the two minute rule that we talked about earlier, is to make it as simple as possible to build a journaling habit. So that's the, the section at the very beginning. So there are 12 pages for that. So one for each month. And then there's a section at the very end that has a habit tracker template and so you can basically write down the habits you're trying to build like mine right now that mine says journal, read one page and stretch for one minute. So those are the three habits that I've, I've been tracking this week. And um, each day I just put a little dot or a little X uh, on that day when I do it. And once again, there are 12 of these. So you can see it for each month of the year by the time you fill the whole journal out. And these pages are also perforated. So if you'd like, you can just tear out your tracker and set it, you know, on your desk at work or your refrigerator in the kitchen or wherever. And um, so basically what we've done is create like a dot grid journal that's on steroids, a dot grid journal specifically designed to make it as easy as possible to build good habits and break bad ones. And there are a bunch of little, um, you know, adjustments on here that I think are improvements to the traditional Baron fig notebooks. Like it has, there are page numbers on every page. There are two bookmarks rather than one. There's, um, a piece of an elastic band. So it'll keep the notebook shut, um, a little folio pocket in the back. So you can put a ruler or something in there. 
um, yeah, I'm, I'm really proud of it. I think it's going to be a great product and I'm super excited to share it with everybody. I'll be sure to put a link in the show notes for people to pick one up. I've got one as we're recording this, it's, it's, uh, we're, they're still not out yet, but my, you've got yours now. You've got your, you said you've got the actual working model and you've been using it. The journaling thing is really, really key because I think a lot of, like you said, a lot of people feel that, oh, what's the template or I don't have time for it. But it, it, I mean, it, like you said, it's very atomic for lack of a, for, for, for lack of, or in, or because of that term, I think it makes sense. <laughs> Right. I mean, the journal's designed around the principles that are in Atomic Habits, right? It's like it's using some of those ideas to make habits easier and more satisfying and uh, more likely to stick. Well, James, you and I could talk for a lot longer about this. There's so much in this book. Atomic Habits, you got to pick up the book. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. You can pick it up at Amazon and all where all other uh, books are sold. You can also get it as part of the uh, the the pack with, with Baron Fig. So you can get the book and... Uh, so you get everything in one fell swoop, which is also a great way to go about it. Uh, James, where can people keep up with your work? Because uh, you're you're not done. You're still writing. You're still doing. That's where that's where you kind of started. And you're still going strong. Yeah. So if you'd like to check out more of my stuff, you can just go to jamesclear.com. If you click on articles, I have them organized by topic. And so you can just kind of poke around and see what interests you. And then if you'd like to see Atomic Habits or the Habit Journal, uh, you can just click on books uh, or go to atomichabits.com. Perfect. James, thanks for joining me today on the Productivity Podcast. Thank you. Whew. That was great. We could have continued on. And I can't wait to chat with James again, uh, especially after I get a chance to dive into the the product that uh, both he and uh, Baron Fig have put together, which by the way, if you're listening to this in succession, next week's episode features a discussion with the founder of Baron Fig, co-founder of Baron Fig, Joey Cafone. He's on next week. So this is like a just like a, a back-to-back episode of habit tracking and 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 intentionality goodness. And uh, I'm really excited to bring it to you. You can hear it in my voice. You can hear it. You know what I'm also excited about? I'm excited to thank my producer, John Polster, for joining me and putting this show together. He's the one that does all the magic behind the scenes. So I want to thank him. I want to thank James for joining me too. All of the stuff that we talked about are in the show notes. Every every last little bit, you got to pick up this book, Atomic Habits, an easy and proven way to build good habits and break bad ones. This is this is a this is like the culmination of a, a lot of hard work, effort, and and just deep thoughts that James has had over the years. So go ahead, pick up that book, pick up the 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 clear habit journal that they that they've put together. Baron Fig, pick up the combo pack, which is what I've done. Um, and and when you get a chance, pick a time to subscribe to the show. Now might be a good time. Just hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to podcasts. And you can pick another time to rate and review this episode if you liked it or the show in general, because it helps John and I make the show better each and every week we go through these. And, uh, you know, there's lots of value in the types of feedback that we get from our listeners. So I want to thank Gusto for sponsoring this episode as well. Listeners will get three months for free when they run their first payroll. That's you. Just go to gusto.com slash timecrafting. You can try a demo and see for yourself. Again, gusto.com slash timecrafting. That's it for this episode. I'm Mike Barty, the host of the Productivity is Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. See you later.